0: We're looking in the Bible, in the book of Mark, chapter 16. There is a fourfold view of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is that book written more to a Greek audience, to a non-Jewish audience. It stresses the actions of Jesus and explains some things that a non-Jew would need to know. Mark, chapter 16, verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. This is the dead body of Jesus Christ. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves... Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? They recognized as they were coming to Jesus that they were facing an unmovable obstacle. My prayer today is that someone would roll away the stone in your life. You may be seated. Well, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we believe that He did arise. That Christ is risen indeed and He is alive in us. But to have a resurrection, you had to have a death and a burial. So let's catch up to that place. Jesus Christ was crucified by the authority of the Roman government at the insistence of Jewish scribes and leaders, but with the consent of an angry mob. The crucifixion took place on a Friday, the eve of the Jewish feast called Passover that celebrated their deliverance from Egyptian bondage when the death angel passed over them because the blood had been applied, the blood of a lamb to the doorpost and the lintel of their house. Jesus was crucified on what we have come to call Good Friday. That's pretty ironic if you were there on that day. Sometime around 9 o'clock in the morning, the crucifixion process began. Around noon, we'll face noon in about two minutes here. The sky went dark and for a space of three hours, darkness covered the face of the earth. And at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus, after saying what is known as the seven sayings of the cross, yielded His Spirit into the hands of God the Spirit. And He gave up the ghost, the Bible said, physically died. And when He did, His disciples mourned. His enemies gathered at the cross, cheered. Somewhere, Satan sneered. But God just smiled. What would happen to the body of Jesus Christ hanging there on the cross between two thieves? And the custom would be, he's just a thief. He's a nobody. Take him down for the cross. Carry him over to the valley of Hinnom, a place that was essentially a garbage dump where the bodies of homeless people and nobodies would be buried in a common grave if buried at all. But there was this Old Testament scripture that said that he made his grave among the rich and God never lies. So this man who has been abandoned by his disciples, a few people gathered around the cross, his destiny might have been the Valley of Hinnom, but not so to be. There was a very wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of the ruling body of Jews, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Seventies. And he had become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He, along with Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, now openly go to Pilate, the Roman governor who had authorized the death of Jesus. And they begged the body of Jesus. Pilate was shocked that he was already dead. No one typically died from crucifixion in just six hours on a Friday afternoon. But he proved that Jesus was dead. Nicodemus and Joseph go To the side of the cross, they take his body down from the cross. Joseph buys fine linen, and together Joseph and Nicodemus wind his body up with precious linen and about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, somewhat of an embalming of the body of Jesus Christ. Near the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a tomb. And when you read the fourfold account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you learn that this tomb was newly cut out of a rock and it belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. He had had that tomb dug for himself. But he chose to let the body of Jesus be buried there. You could kind of say looking back that it was a three-day loan. Nicodemus and Joseph take the body of Jesus, now wrapped in spices and fine linen, and they take it and they put it inside the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They, maybe with the help of others, roll the stone in front of the door, the aperture of the tomb. There have been about a thousand tombs excavated that date back to the time of Christ, so what we're describing here today is authenticated archaeologically by many finds. I have been to the garden tomb in Jerusalem and seen the possible place where Jesus was buried or something just like it. This stone probably rolled in front of the door. Maybe it was placed on a slant once there, three or four to six feet in diameter rather. It would have weighed between 2,000 and 4,000 pounds. And now it is placed Jesus is buried. Joseph and Nicodemus breathe a sigh of relief because they have buried him before sundown, the official start of the Passover, and they have not violated their Jewish law. Mark, the writer Mark that we read from today, is careful to tell us that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw the place where Jesus was buried. This was not pre planned. It just seemed to happen as those things do that are ordained by God. Darkness blanketed the Judean hillside. The bewildered followers of Jesus don't know what to do with themselves. They are in hiding. They all forsook him and fled. Only John, the beloved, was at the cross of the chosen 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. They are confused, they are afraid. They didn't understand that He would die, even though He told them. This was not in their plan at all. He is supposed to liberate them from the Roman government, and now Jesus is dead. And all throughout the night, I'm sure that confusion reigned among the disciples. Saturday morning, the sun comes up. And those that had authorized the death of Jesus, the Jewish scribes and chief priests, are very nervous. They are anxious about this. Because Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So they go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they said, we've got a problem on our hands. You know, this liar said this, and if the disciples go to the tomb and move the stone, take Jesus, go hide his body somewhere... Then they're going to tell everybody that he raised from the dead and the problem we're going to deal with then is worse than the problem we're dealing with now. Well, we need to do something about this. They convince Pilate that they need to set a Roman guard at the tomb. They convince him that the tomb needs to be sealed and before sundown it is done. An elite a array of soldiers are there to guard the site of the tomb of Jesus so that nobody comes and grave robs and steals his body away. They seal it with maybe some type of a cement. I don't really know. I have never found what they sealed it with, but they're pretty happy about this arrangement. tomb is sealed. The guards are there. And no disciples of Jesus are going to dare try to penetrate the protection of the Roman soldiers. Pilate said, make it, As sure as you can, Saturday evening comes and everything looks good. These three women, though, are thinking about Jesus, the dead body of Jesus. So after the Sabbath is over, about 6 p.m. on Saturday night, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 16, 1 tells us that they went to the market. Maybe they found somebody open after the Sabbath is over and they purchased some spices. And they said, tomorrow morning we're going to go to the side of the tomb and we're going to take these spices and we're going to place them, we're going to anoint the body of Jesus with these spices. So early Sunday morning they get up. They're staying in Bethany evidently, about two miles away. It's still dark and they've decided to come to the tomb. So it is Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, and Salome, and they are making this two-mile trek to to the tomb site. Cobblestone streets, dirt paths, I'm not sure exactly what they had to cross to get there. Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome. We know a little bit about two of these women, but mainly Mary Magdalene. Let me tell you about her, because she's a very devout follower of Jesus Christ. But she hasn't always been that way. The first time we're introduced to Mary Magdalene is when she is a follower of Jesus. But in Luke chapter 8 verse 2, there are several women that followed Him and ministered to Him. But the Bible said one of them was Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. This is not a church girl. I don't know what kind of devil she had. Maybe she had lying devils. Maybe she had a devil of infirmity. Maybe she had a spirit of immorality. We don't really know what kind of devils possessed Mary Magdalene. But before Jesus came into her life, she was controlled by seven demonic spirits that did not let her do what she knew she should do, but Jesus delivered her, and when the devils went out, she became a devout follower of Jesus Christ. She evidently was a fairly wealthy lady, among other women of wealth, and they gave money to support the ministry of Jesus Christ. She along with just a few other people were at the crucifixion and she saw Jesus die. That's how loyal she was. You remember that she went and watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea bury him and she saw where Jesus was buried. And now she and the other Mary and Salome would be the very first people on Sunday morning, resurrection Sunday morning, to go to the tomb. And if you follow the story, in John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven devils were cast, she is the first person to physically see the resurrected Jesus Christ. She thinks he's a gardener, but when he calls her name, she says, Rabboni, which is to say, Master, Mary Magdalene. What's Sunday morning, third day. Mary, Mary, and Salome... We're making this two-mile journey to the tomb, the site that Jesus was buried. And in their mind, He was dead and buried. And they have just coming with spices to anoint His body, to, to show their love for their Master who has now been taken away. But somewhere along this two-mile walk, Mary or Mary or Salome had this aha moment. Now, they're just chatting pre-dawn hours. You know, Jesus was resurrected somewhere around sunrise and they had to get there at the breaking of the day if you follow the whole story. But, but someone said, why are we doing this? We got these spices. We just bought it in the market last night. We're going to get to the tomb and there's, a, there's an obstacle there. And it's rather large. It's an unmovable obstacle. It's over 2,000 pounds and it's blocking the door. Now, I don't know if they knew that the Roman soldiers were guarding the door, but I have a feeling word had spread. They're on their way. They don't see it yet. But we know the disciples are not going to go open the door. They're all hiding somewhere. I mean, even if all 12 did, the Roman soldiers, this elite Roman guard would have exterminated them before they even got their hands on that rock. They've got strict orders. You guard the tomb. Make it as sure as you can. Don't let anybody rob the grave and pretend that Jesus is raised from the dead. Mary and Mary and Salome are like, we got a serious problem. Someone told me at the church today, uh, at the first service, that the reason Mary, Mary and Salome were not strong enough to move the stone away because back then they didn't have cross fit. Cute. 2,000 pounds, 4,000 pounds. I mean, this is a giant stone. And they know that for them, it is an unmovable object. These women are not stout enough to do it. But this is what kind of blows my mind. Somewhere along the way, they decide that this is a waste of trip, but they just keep going. And they ask the question, who is going to roll the stone away for us? Now, now, if it was men, I hate to say this, but if it was men coming to the, to the crucifixion site, or rather the tomb, we would have said, oh, there's a big rock there, let's go home. But women aren't like that. It's like a woman going to her husband and say, I need you to take care of this for me. You're like, well, that's impossible, but I need you to take care of this for me. You know, they just have this faith, or whatever, that's like, I'm not taking no for an answer. They know the disciples aren't going to move the stone. The Roman soldiers aren't going to move the stone. But they still pose the question, who will roll the stone away from the door for us? We're going to the tomb. Unmovable obstacle, but we're not backing up. Now, what if it would have been you? I mean, how much have you determined to come to Jesus Christ, to please Jesus Christ, to get to him? Are you one of those half-hearted people that the first problem that rises, you just turn around and go back? Is that the kind of follower you are? Not these women. They are headed to Jesus Christ and nothing is going to stop them. That they are facing an immovable obstacle. Now, my message today is about those women, but it's really about what stands between you and Jesus Christ. Because it's my observation and in the scripture and in practical life that we live now that everybody who has ever tried to get to Jesus had something between them and Him. It might not have been a 2,000 pound boulder rolled in front of a tomb but it was something too big for you to move. Always has been, always will be. Read the stories in the gospel. It was a blinded eye or too many people in the way or a man that was paralyzed and he couldn't get in the house. There are all these examples in the Bible of people who wanted to get to Jesus, but there was always some obstacle and the test was, do you want to get there or are you willing to give up without trying your very best to get there? Now, what are the unmovable obstacles in your life. I I couldn't name them all, but I really felt like there's several that I needed to talk about today. Because I have watched people that want to get to God, but in their life, they are facing an unmovable obstacle of a wound that they have suffered in their life. Somebody hurt them so deeply, and they have kind of deflected that hurt to God, and if God was good... And if God loved me, that would have never happened to me. If God is good and God is love, then that person would have never abused me and violated me when I was a child. And so because you have this hurt, you hold that person hostage by unforgiveness and you also refer that to God, that God has wronged you and you go through your life not... Coming to Jesus Christ because you are blocked by this deep hurt that has come in your life. Some of you were hurt by a spouse who was unfaithful to you and violated your marriage vow. And you just are so deeply hurt by that that you can hardly function in your life. Some were hurt by a friend who betrayed you. Ask Jesus how that feels and ask Judas how it was to betray his Lord. The Bible speaks about People who are hurt in relationships, people that you trusted that turn your back, their back on you and stab you in the back. And then there are people who get hurt in churches. They get hurt by pastors, they get hurt by friends that they go to church with. And you say, Why would you say that here in church? Because it's real. And in the Bible, in Psalm 55, the Bible talks about this. He said, it wasn't an enemy that reproached me. I could have dealt with that. But it's somebody I went to church with. Somebody my equal that hurt me. And if you're dealing with that... I have found that for many people, that becomes an unmovable obstacle. It is something too big to get over or around or get through or to move out of the way. But I want to just tell you now that if you will release the person who wronged you by forgiving them, that Jesus Christ will forgive you for your sins as you release them. Unmovable obstacles. For most everyone, standing between you and Jesus Christ is a habit or habits that you cannot break. You mean well, you talk a good game, you desire to do what is right, you come to church on Easter Sunday and you intend to be a person who follows Jesus Christ and is faithful, but you walk out the door and you face the reality of a powerless life and you end up doing the very things that you intended to quit doing. I've talked to so many people. Well, oh, I quit that. Well, how long ago did you quit it? Three days. Pick that habit right back up. And we say, well, are you, are you condemning me? No, I'm just being very real because the Apostle Paul said that no matter how much a human being tries to please God with what we call the law of our mind that is reaching after the law of God, there is this law of sin that works in us that brings us into captivity to the law of sin and death. So the things you try to do, you don't have the power to do. And everybody... That has ever wanted to get to Jesus Christ has had to try to wade through their own sinful nature, things that you could not deal with in your own ability. And I can just tell you today that the only answer to sin is to ask God to forgive you. And when you do, to believe Him, to release His power in your life, to break the chains of sin. There, are people. That want to get to Jesus Christ, but they cannot get past their religious tradition. You're raised a certain way, told this is all you've got to do to be saved. You found that it's not working in your life, it's just nominal religion, religion in name only. And then you, you, you were confronted by someone who told you about. Repenting of your sins and being baptized in water in Jesus' name. Being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they showed you, it's right here in the Bible. This is the plan of salvation. Acts 2, 38. You can follow it throughout the scripture, but you told yourself, well, if I believe that, then then my family, my friends might reject me. If I believe that then that means that my mother and grandmother and grandfather and all the people back in my past, that they believe something that was different. And what happens to them? And you have this argument that's a conundrum. It never solves anything because religious tradition has got you blocked away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now I just want to tell you today that you have to answer to God for yourself and what you know. And what grandma, grandpa, what your old church used to tell you you need to push that away. You need to say, I will not let that object be unmovable for me. And that's, what, that's, what, that's why Jesus came to His own. And His own received Him not. Their religious tradition and preconceived ideas blocked them from truth. They said they were the people of God. But Jesus said, have you never read in the Scriptures what the Bible says? And it is my job today to tell you that the Bible says to repent and to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Somebody needs to break through the barrier of religious tradition to say today. Say I'm coming to Jesus Christ no matter what it takes. Amen. Now, you may think, I could never be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's because you think you've got to do this. Amen. There's one key to all of this. And that is the key that these women taught us. That even though you know there's a barrier too big for you, you just keep coming. You just keep coming. You've got questions, they had questions. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we just know somebody's got to roll the stone away because we're coming to Jesus no matter what. Amen. So I want to tell you today that you need to make up your mind. I am not going back home the way I came today. It may be Easter Sunday. I may be a guest at a church, but it is not about a church. It is about me getting to God. I've got issues I need to deal with. They become unmovable obstacles, but I believe I've got to just keep coming. Amen. You see, I, I love Mary Magdalene because she's she's like, I've been there before. I dealt with stuff before that I couldn't conquer. Those devils had control of me. And I know that Jesus Christ delivered me. He cast them out of me. He changed my life. So I'm just going to come to Jesus again believing that the same power that delivered me from the devil will open the door of the tomb. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Don't go back. Just keep coming. And while they're coming, trying to figure out how they're going to get to Jesus, at the side of the tomb, the most amazing thing happens. An angel from heaven comes down, single-handedly rolls a stone away from the door. There's a big earthquake and the angel sits on top of the stone as if to say, how do you like that? The Roman soldiers watch this angel whose face is like lightning. His clothes are beautiful white. And the Bible says that these strong elite soldiers began to shake and fell out. They passed out and became as dead men. Mary and Mary and Salome, they're just walking toward the tomb and they round the bend evidently and they look and the door of the tomb is open. So they come to the approach the tomb, and there's angel sitting there says, Hey, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen as he said. Yeah. Why don't we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Why don't you applaud God in His great power? So here's my message to you today. You may not know how, God is going to deal with the immovable obstacles in your life. How is he going to heal this hurt? How is he going to give me power over these addictions? How is he going to break the power of sin? What am I going to do to deal with all the questions I've got about Jesus Christ? But while you've got questions, just keep coming to Jesus Christ. Just say, I've made up my mind. I'm turning from my sins. I'm coming to Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to stop me from getting to him. And when you say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me for every sin I've ever committed. Lord, I release the people who have abused me, who have wounded me, who have hurt me. Lord, I'm I'm tired of being a slave to these addictions that have controlled me. If you could cast out seven devils from Mary Magdalene, you can deal with the issues that I'm facing in my life. Lord, I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to pray. the Bible said that if you will come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. The Bible said that if you will seek Him with all of your heart, that He will, you will find Him. So you've got to just keep coming and trust that on the other end of the line, if you will do what you can do, God will do what you cannot do. Amen. But you can't stay home. You've got to make up your mind I am getting to Jesus Christ no matter what. To their surprise. The angel came, the door was open, Jesus was resurrected and all the wonderful things that happened after that. But the secret of the three women of Mary, Mary and Salome is that even though you know there's something between you and Him blocking your way you make up your mind, I'm coming to Jesus Christ and I trust that Jesus will take care of the rest. Would you bow your heads? If everyone right now would join me, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that God would forgive us of our sins. We're going to ask Jesus Christ to cleanse us and to give us power. And I want to make you a biblical promise that if you will repent, God will forgive. But when you repent, when you say, Jesus, forgive me, I'm changing my mind. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. When you ask God to forgive you, it gives God permission to roll the stone away and to remove the unmovable object in your life. So would you pray with me right now in Jesus' name? Lord, I confess my sins right now and I pray a, a prayer of repentance for everyone that is in this room just as I prayed for the very first time. I ask you, oh God, to come into my life. I pray today, Lord, for people that are dealing with unmovable obstacles Lord addictions that they have battled many many years that they have just made up their mind that they have to live with but today Lord I pray that you would break the power of sin for this congregation today is filled with believers who were former people of that were possessed of the devil that were addicted to substances who were hurt and abused whose lives were a wreck and oh God I've seen you remove those obstacles that were too big for them and i know that you will do it again today so let's pray right now would you come to jesus by your prayer would you come to the lord and talk into him right now That it keep praying right where you're sitting keep praying amen lord jesus forgive me god unresolved issues hurts and wounds in our lives confusion over religious doctrines Jesus I pray today Lord that you would let the gospel be preached to people who are spiritually poor I pray that you would heal broken hearted people today I ask you Lord that you would let there be deliverance that would come to people who are captives Lord, let there be physical healing today. Recovering of sight to the blind. Healing of diseases. I pray, Lord, that you would set at liberty them that are bruised. And Lord, let this be a day of rejoicing and victory and salvation. Not a day of condemnation. For today, Lord, we celebrate your resurrection that you have the keys of death and hell, that you are alive forevermore, that there is nothing that can keep us from getting to you if we will do our part in repentance and confession. Would you please stand? Amen. Amen. I recognize that if you're a guest here today, maybe much of this is so unfamiliar. Oh my goodness! The music, the worship—these people are passionate, and yes, we are. But let me ask you a question: If you if you had an injury, if you were in a car wreck, and the ambulance took you to a hospital you had never seen before, you went into the door there on a stretcher. There were doctors and nurses that you had never met. You would say, "I'm at a hospital. I'm hurting." And I'm trusting my life in the hands of people I've never met before. This is not just a traditional church. This is a spiritual hospital. It's a place that specializes in the wounds of people's lives being healed by the power of God. It is not us, but it is what Jesus can do through us for you. So whether you're a first-time guest or you've been here many, many times, I'm going to invite you to make a move toward God gonna invite you to come to this area the front of our church we call the altar if you're uncomfortable doing that i want you to please pray where you are but listen the unmovable objects in your life are way too heavy for you and too big for you but aren't you sick and tired aren't you sick and tired of being blocked from the presence of god of being blocked from salvation Aren't you ready for freedom and deliverance and salvation? If you want it, why don't you come right now? Because the power of Jesus Christ is able to overcome the power that has held you captive. So right now, would you bring a friend or a family member? Would you come right now? There is nothing that can hold you back if you will come to Jesus Christ today.